Guys, we are starting a new series today called Beneath the Surface, and it is a look at the book of James, and it's going to be an exciting time. James is a fascinating book, and we're going to get into that in a second, but first wanted to kind of clarify um, the reason for the visuals, the icebergs. Um, James speaks a lot to someone's character, and... Um, Character is one of those tricky things that you don't always see someone's character initially, but eventually character comes through. Um, and so the concept we took is from Dr. Tim Elmore's book, Habitudes. For those of you that know me at all, they know I love Habitudes. Um, they're basic images that present a message that give you a quick learning point. And basically, the point of the Habitude of Icebergs is only 10% of the iceberg is actually seen. 90% of the iceberg is not seen at all. And in the same way, your talents, your giftings are that 10% that people see. They're, it's the part, like Matt always says, it's the part that you want people to see. But it's your character that will either sink the ship or sustain you. And so the iceberg is the principle that we're going with this week. Uh, and so we're going to be talking a lot about character. We're going to be talking about how to develop that so that we can be the kinds of Christians that God wants us to be. And so we're looking at the book of James, and i got to be honest, um, I, when, I was, you know, when I was reading, I don't know if you know this, James is written, um, most scholars say, by Jesus' brother. Um, so the brother of Jesus, James, is the one that wrote this book. And I sat there this week thinking, how... Um, how must that, that have felt growing up to be the brother of Jesus? Um, it's like, hey, Mom, look, I got an A on my Hebrew paper. And Jesus is like, uh, I get an A on every paper. I kind of wrote that language, dude. Um, it's like you're wrestling with Jesus, and occasionally he lets you win just so that you'll keep playing with him. Um, it kind of made me think of a couple people. You know, you could be the funniest. Um, there's a family with six children, and you could be hysterical. But if your brother is Jim Gaffigan, um, you're just never going to be the funniest. Um, hot pocket. <laughs> For those of you that don't know who Jim Gaffigan is, he's the one that does hot pocket. And then he does those little things where he's like, I don't even understand that joke. What is he even talking about? And he does this little monologue, with, and it's hysterical. Um, you know, you could be uh, Cooper, who was a high school football star. They expected him to go far in um, college, even in the NFL draft. He had to stop playing football because of certain health issues. But even had he gone all the way to the NFL, he most likely would have always been known as just Peyton's brother. Because there are those times when it's like, it doesn't matter how good you are, it feels like there's some, someone in your family that always does it better. Am I the only one that's felt that way? Do any of you have a sibling that it's like, doesn't matter what I do, they're always the golden child? Anyone? Thank you. Barb and I will have lunch sometime and talk about our golden siblings, but... Um, but the more I started thinking about it, and the more I started thinking about the fact that we're talking about character, I started to think, who better to write a book 
on what character looks like than the brother of Jesus who his entire life displayed what it means to have character grow in his life. And so James is the perfect author for this book because he is the one who had firsthand knowledge of what it meant to see character develop in somebody. And so we're going to be studying James. Now, just to give you an overview, um, I've been tasked with an overview of James, and then we're going to take one little section. So I'm going to do the overview very quickly. And James is basically street theology, street-level theology. It's theology 101. It's this is what you need to do. This is what you should do. This is, James has 108 verses. 59 of them are saying, this is what you should do. This is what you must do. 59, half of the verses are imperative statements on how to develop character. So we've got this street-level theology. It's theology 101. This is how you're supposed to live. Another thing that's interesting about James is James mirrors very well the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew. Um, I was reading, and scholars can find 18 specific points where James says something that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's very mirrored. It's as if James is saying, hey, you remember my brother? You remember that awesome sermon he said? Well, that's kind of the key to most things. And so I'm going to state it again just to be sure that we understand this is where character comes from. So, for example, like Matthew 5.12 says, rejoice in trials. And James 1.2 says, count it all joy when you are tried. Same concept. James is basically restating a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a wonderful example of Jesus taking wisdom literature and bringing it into the present reality and the street-level theology of the people of that time. Now, the book of James was written to Jewish Christians. Just to give you, um, this is going to be kind of, I apologize, this is my teaching preaching. So, I have this. I love whiteboards. So, you've got people Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. In the late 40s AD, about 12 to 13 years after Jesus has died, risen, and ascended, we have this persecution that begins to happen to the Jewish church. We have the stoning of Stephen, and that sparks a scattering of the Jewish Christians all over the place. So we've got this what was once this Jewish hub where we were all together and, wow, Jesus is the Messiah, and we realized that, and then all of a sudden we have this persecution and this stressful squeezing that pushes the Jewish Christians out to different places. And James is writing a letter to his fellow Jewish Christians. It's really, a lot of people say, it's like a pastoral letter. It's, hey, guys, I know you're not here anymore, but I want to remind you of some stuff that, that you knew when you were here. And even though you've been forced out because of persecution, I don't want you to forget the things that we've learned. And so James is writing this letter basically to the Jewish people that have turned to Christ, and he's wanting to remind them of some certain things, simple truth. We need to have compassion for the poor. We need to keep peace with one, each, one another. 
We need to stand firm when we're persecuted and when there are trials. We need to be working together. We need to be a community of believers that follows God. And so that's a general background for James. Now let's get into uh, the scripture. Uh, James 1, we're going to look at the first section, and we're going to break it down a little bit and talk about how this, this uh, pastoral letter to these Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago applies to us today. So um, let me read this for you. This letter is from James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, an, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should also should boast that God has humbled them. They'll fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever's good and perfect is a gift coming down, from us, uh, coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So we've got James talking to these people who have been pressured, they have been persecuted, they have been squeezed out of the life that they've known, and they have been pushed out to other places where they're not familiar, where they, where they are once again aliens, strangers, the outcasts. And James is saying, all right, guys, it's time. You've had this theory of what the Christian life looks like, of what it's like to follow Jesus. Now it's time to let your faith match your theory, day in and day out. It's time to put action to that faith and show that, you, that this concept you have of what it means to be a Christian is actually true. So 
We have these Jewish people that are trying to survive. They're trying to do their own thing. And James talks about this dualism, this competing realities. He says, I know things are rough right now for you. But you really have to look at things through the right lens. It's all about perspective. See, there's this dualism. There are these two competing realities that are going on right now. So don't be confused. Your goal is simply to see the right reality. And so we have these dual realities between heaven and earth. We have this world's reality that says it's all about what you see. It's all about what you know. It's all about what you do. And then you have this this God reality that says, no, 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 that's not what it's about. My reality is something completely different. You have this world's reality that is wisdom from below. Well, this makes sense to me. This is right for me. This is my personal truth. And James says, no, 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 that's not the way we live. There is wisdom that is from above. There is wisdom that is constant. There is a truth that is not fading, and that's the wisdom that we need to seek. You've got this wisdom of this world that's based on desires. I want it. I want it now. If I can't afford it now, I can at least charge it and have it now. It's all about what I can have now. And then you've got this God reality that says, no. Life is so much more than what you can get out of it. There is this whole world going on that is based around this God who loves us, this creative God. And then you've got this world reality that James says, you know what, the world's going to tell you it's all about what you have. It's, it's, it's the first, you know, keeping up with the Joneses statement. It's like, the world's going to tell you you need more. You need bigger you need faster, you need uh, the fastest speed yacht on the Red Sea. I don't know what it is, but, but God is saying, no, no, no. There are gifts that God gives, and they're perfect. And they're not things that you can park in your garage, necessarily. But they're good gifts, and they're from God, and they're perfect. And so those are the things that you need to think about. So you have these this dual reality. You've got the things of God, and you've got the things of earth. And once again, we're, it makes you think of Matthew. Matthew 18, 18, where it says, the things that are loosed in heaven will be loosed on earth. The things that are bound in heaven will be bound on earth. It makes you think of the Lord's Prayer, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what James often refers to when he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so James is saying, listen, if you want to be wise, you've got to live in God's reality, not in the world's reality. And James encourages them and kind of reprimands them. He says, don't forget, you've got to have your allegiance in one place. Your faith must be in God. If it is in something else, you're going to be tossed around like the waves. You're going to be blown whichever way the winds of this world blows you. You are going to be powerless to do what God wants you to do. He says, the double-minded man, another way to translate it is a double-souled person. It's like they say, I believe God. I don't believe much. 
And he says, you've got to be different from the world that says, I believe whatever I see in front of me until something else is in front of me, and then I believe that. No, we've got to see through God's eyes God's reality. See, that sort of instability where you say, I believe, I'm not sure I believe. James is warning them, this doesn't just affect one area of your life. This indecisive, wishy-washy lifestyle affects your personal life, your marriage, your spiritual life, your business life. It affects you completely, and you will be tossed and turned, and you will crash if you are not careful. And so James is imploring them, live a life that is single-minded and focused. And as I read those words, I, I, just, I just had some thoughts that came to me, and I just thought, how often am I like that? Um, and, and maybe you've been there too. It's like you, you feel paralyzed by your faith. It's like I know, I know God's reality, but it's so hard when I only see the world's reality. And... And I know what God says to do, and I know what I should do, but it's hard sometimes. Because I see one thing, and I trust in another, and sometimes my seeing wants to supersede my spiritual seeing. Have you ever felt frozen in your faith? And then, if you have, the question is, is it because your viewpoint on God's reality is too small? Or is it your view of this world's reality is too great? And God is calling us to see things with proper perspective, which is his reality. James is saying it's all about perspective and understanding, and I cashed in a lot of chips today to get help, and I've asked Jackie to help me illustrate this point of uh, perception, so a perspective. So would you welcome Jackie up here? Most of the teens know what this is, true? These goggles are goggles that turn everything upside down, which you would not think would be a big deal, (laughs) but it's really funny to watch people (laughs) try to do things with this. So Jackie has agreed to help me. She is going to simply put these on. I'm going to give her this marker, and she is simply going to write her name on this board. Simple task. She's been doing it since she was four. This is a simple thing to do. Yes, please. We should have worked this out before service. (laughs) All right, I'm going to give you a second. How are you feeling? I'm going to give you this marker. Here you go. (laughs) All right, here you go. Do you need me to take the top off or you got it? Top isn't off. <laughs> All right, there you go. All right, so right here, I just simply want you to write your name on the board. 
You know, perspective is such a crazy thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nicely done. Good job. High five. Thanks, Jackie. Give Jackie a hand. You know, interesting thing, I was talking with Eddie, and one of the people that helped create that or design it, I don't know uh, what they did, but they did some research on it, and they found that if you wore that for two weeks straight, your mind would adjust to seeing things upside down. And then when you took them off, even though you were seeing reality, everything would look wrong because of how you had been viewing things in the past. Do you see where I'm going with this? James is saying for too long, we've had those dumb goggles on to the point that it's hard for us to see what is reality and what is not reality. Christ has come and he has set us free. He's taken off the goggles. Why would you ever want to put them back on? Learn to live in God's reality and you will always have the right perspective. So, we have... The question is, what was their perspective and what's our perspective? And so, to understand, I'm going to take just a quick second and give you a, a brief wisdom overview of history. Is that okay? Okay, we're going to do it fast. So, in the beginning, we have God. God created the heavens and the earth. We have this creative God, yes? And the spirit of the God moved upon the earth, and God spoke. So we have this word of God. We have this creative God. We have this spirit of God that's moving from the beginning. Now, going on down the line, we all of a sudden, a couple of years later, have the written word of God. We said, God, tell us what we want to know. And so we have what they would call the Torah, the word of God, the laws of God. And we still had this spirit of God that was teaching them. And the Spirit of God was kind of this, uh, probably not as developed as the Torah because the Torah was easy to feel and see and it's a list of rules and I did this or I didn't do that and so it's very easy. So this is how we viewed reality in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, that kind of stuff. Go through time and all of a sudden we get to the wisdom literature. And all of a sudden, we see things like Proverbs 1-7. Now, wisdom literature was partially to tell our story and partially to remind people that other stories are not our story. And so, at this time, we were not the only people that had wisdom literature. 
Mesopotamia, Egypt, they all had wisdom literature, and they all had their own gods that did certain things, right? But we said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You may have these concepts that are a shadow of the reality, but if you don't have them grounded in our God, it's just that, a shadow, because the fear of our Lord is the only true God. And we have Proverbs that all of a sudden does something that has never been done before. We have wisdom personified. All of a sudden, wisdom is who we should marry. Marry wisdom. Abide with wisdom. Wisdom becomes this person figure, and we want to join ourselves with wisdom. That's the right way to live. That's wisdom literature. Now, you go a little bit further, and you have big word, hypostasize. All it means is this. We've taken something that's abstract, like this spirit, and we've made it concrete. And there were some guys that said, wisdom isn't just this concept. Wisdom is something that can be grasped. And we see wisdom when we see the order of creation. We see wisdom when we see that we plant an acorn tree, and what do we get out of it? What? An acorn. Yeah, we, we plant an acorn, and what do we get? We, yeah, we're not going to get banana pudding. We're going to get, there, there is order. There is something concrete that we can see. And so we have this concrete wisdom, which also is going along with, the Torah, we've got this word of God, it's concrete. We've got this wisdom of God that is now, hey, look, that's kind of concrete too, because we can see God's wisdom. So then, we have people like Solomon. So this is where we are in the scheme of things. Solomon was great, because Solomon said, hey, this is true, but you know what? There's more. The wisdom of God and the word of God are the only things that will ever save us. That's a very important statement that was said by one of the most wisest men ever. So we have this wisdom of God that can save us. You with me? Thank you, Jamie. So we have this wisdom of God that can save us. Now we get to, a little bit further down the road, we get to the New Testament. And right now, we are dealing with James, who is trying to explain these thousands of years of wisdom literature, these thousands of years of following the Torah, in light of what has just happened a decade before with Jesus. And so James is saying, if you want wisdom, you need to understand that wisdom is the word of God. And just like John, a couple of years, years later, even though he's earlier in the books of the Bible, will say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so James is saying, if you want to know what wisdom is, you need to understand that there is this creative God that actively moves on our behalf
to show us the word of God, which is Jesus. And if you want to live in God's reality, this is where wisdom comes from. Does that make sense? So, if we want to live in God's reality, if we want to understand what James is saying, this is where he's going. And this is what the people would be hearing when he's talking to them. And they're saying, oh, maybe that's why you keep talking about the things that Jesus talked about, because he is the word. Oh, maybe that's why you, you keep saying, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he will give it to you. And James starts to connect all these dots from their Jewish history, and he starts to say, this Jesus not only is the word of God, the physical presence of what we thought was the law, ironically enough, side note, we're also called to be <laughs> personified Mary wisdom, and we are called to be the bride of Christ. Are you with me? Okay, good. We're going to move on then. All right. James is saying, this is messy. This is confusing. This is taking thousands of years of what we thought we knew, and all of a sudden, it's putting it in different light because we now have this Messiah. But if you truly want to see God's reality, this is where we start. We start with this crucified Jesus who was the word of God. And so he's saying, James is saying in the book, remember what you know. We aren't preaching anything new. Jesus didn't bring a new religion. Jesus was the fulfillment and the embodiment of what you already know. Now remember it and live your lives in that light because that represents God's reality. It's interesting that James says, remember, um, he, he, says, he says, if you, if you need understanding or perceive or I want you to know, he says it 17 times in the first 17 verses. This is a big deal to James. I want you to understand. I want you to really see God's reality. Because if you don't see that, everything else is going to look upside down and backwards. So it's James's prayer that we understand. And the way that we understand best, um, the way that we ask God for wisdom is, as it says in verse 5, through prayer. If you lack wisdom ask God. Prayer is the Christian's access to help. Prayer is everyone's access to help. So James is saying, it all comes down to understanding this creative God, this saving Jesus, and this wisdom that is ours through the power of the Holy Spirit. And once you have that reality, that should inform and shape how you live your everyday lives, regardless of whether you are blessed or persecuted, rich or poor, 
When you see God's reality, everything else falls under the shadow of God's reality. So remember what you've learned. Continue to grow in your character. That's why James gives this list of things to do. Ways to help live with each other and in community. Ways that will help you control your attitudes and your actions. Because all of these things are building the character of your life. You may not see it. Others may not see it, but God is building this character in you when you do these things, when you take this reality. And so he says, do that. You know, it's interesting that most of us will spend 10% of our working career going to college to, do 90 per, to prepare us for the 90% of our working life. Jesus spent 90% of his life up to his ministry preparing his character for that 10% of his time where his ministry would be done. It's interesting how Jesus would spend so much time developing character because he understood the mission that God had for him. And when you understand the mission that God has for you, it drives you to deeper character. I love uh, Jenny Allen at the IF conference last year. My wife went and she told me tons of stuff about Jenny Allen. Um, if you haven't read her books, this is a great place to start. It's called Restless by Jenny Allen. But she said this, your calling can never exceed your character. Now, I'm, I'm speaking to friends who I'm assuming want to be used by God. I'm assuming you're here on a Sunday morning because I want to know more about God and I want to know how to serve him better. Your calling can never exceed your character. My calling can never exceed my character. It is imperative that we learn more about God. We learn more about his ways. We grow more like him into his image. We follow his ways so that we are ready for the mission that God has for us. You know, I was thinking, there's so many of us that want to do great things. Um, and I love how Alan says, great people don't do great things. God does great things through surrendered people. So, um, the question is simple. Are you surrendered? If you're surrendered, you're growing in grace and in character. You're growing in grace and character because God has given you wisdom that you've asked for. You have wisdom that God has asked for because he wants to develop in you the character to fulfill the mission that he has for each and every one of us. Um, one last thing, and then I'm going to call the band up. Um, I promise this isn't the Jenny Allen sermon, but it feels like it. I was reading one of her blogs, and she was writing to her son, sophomore in, college, uh, sophomore in high school, backup quarterback. The main dude gets hurt, and all of a sudden, it's her son, the sophomore, 
quarterback who hasn't really played, and he's called on to lead the team this next week against the biggest rival that their school has. And so Jenny wrote these words to her son, Connor. Let me read them for you. She starts off with scripture. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. Connor, nearly everything you've done has been within your capacity. This may be what excites me most about this moment in your life. What is required of you is beyond your age, experience, and current ability. In my life, these have been the moments that have most built my faith in God. Because as you surrender and trust him and jump into what scares you with all of yourself, you watch God strengthen you and help you and at times even carry you and you don't remember what happened. That's my prayer for you, that you would experience how much God loves you, how much he wants to help you, how powerful it is to trust him to do what is beyond your own resources. I love you, and I'm unthinkably proud of how you've submitted to your coaches and teams this week. You've led them by serving them and working hard and moving forward even though you feel weak and scared. Then she quotes 1 Corinthians, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Connor, I know you've been asked, you've asked me what it looks like to be humble. It looks like you this week. Head down, working hard, being afraid, doing it anyway. Thinking of your team more than yourself. Needing God. Knowing that when it goes well, it's because of God. Knowing that when it goes terrible, it's okay because you have God. He's in you, Connor. He's with you today and tonight, and will be there too. And as I read that, I sat there and I was like, man, that's, that's almost like what James is saying in this first passage. I know that it's scary. I know that there are times when you will have troubles. I know that there are times when you won't know what to do. So what does wisdom look like? Wisdom looks like asking God, trusting him, trusting that when good things happen, God gets the praise. When trials come, God gets the praise. And that is how character begins to develop in us. You know, it's interesting that you think of the Titanic and you have a ship and you have an iceberg. And when they collided, both sustained damage to some extent. The iceberg had parts that were chipped away. Both sustained damage, but only one sank. It's my prayer that as we grow deeper in our character, as we grow deeper in our faith, when trials come, we may get dinged up. But the character that we've developed through Christ will sustain us through those trials. Amen? So I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I'm going to give you just a quick, quick 
A um, couple of points. So how do we grow in character? We pray. We seek wisdom. We obey. William Brown said, to embody true character is to put one in touch with the creator, creation, and community. We didn't talk about it this morning, but community is such an important thing. And this really, I was, I was studying, I was like, this could be a sermon for life groups. This could be a sermon for accountability groups. This could be a sermon for the need for us to gather and assemble together and worship God together. This, this really is a message about community. You know, I had totally forgotten until I was looking at some stuff. I had forgotten that there was a ship the Californian, 10 miles away from the Titanic. 10 miles away. And they had warned the Titanic over and over again, be careful, icebergs, icebergs ahead, be careful. The sixth time, the telegraph guy reported back, shut up, I'm busy. We need each other. We need community because there are times when we can't see the icebergs in our lives that are coming our way. We need that accountability to say, hey, hey brother, where you're heading isn't a good place. You don't wanna go down that road. Let me walk with you and let's find the wise way to live. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds. I want you to take out your life, uh, your community life folders. This week, two things for you to do. One is I want you to take a few seconds and say, where do I need wisdom today? What is an area in my life where character needs to grow? I want you to write it down or think about it. And I want you this week to daily pray, God, increase my wisdom. Help me understand this. Or God, help me grow in this way. I want to have character that's from you that will sustain me through the problems. That's the first task. So I'm going to give you a couple of seconds to do that. And the second one is this. We've been reading Proverbs for the past month, a proverb a day. James, a lot of people have paralleled it and said, James is really a New Testament Proverbs. So this week, I want to challenge you to read the book of James and read it alongside Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to look for ways that they parallel and say, wow, if Jesus is saying this, if James is saying this, this must be something that I really need to look at. God, open my eyes and give me wisdom to see what in these passages is for me. And so those two things, God, I need wisdom in this, or I need help in character in this way. And then two, I want you to read James and Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let's read them together this week, and let's grow together. So I'm going to give you just a couple seconds.
this faith that James talks about, we live out this faith in community with each other. And as we learn to love each other, our character will grow. As we learn to love each other, our ability to love those who persecute us grows. As we learn to obey and seek God, we begin to train our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our lives to live within God's reality, the true reality. And as we take off the blinders and we see God's reality, the beautiful thing is this world's reality starts to look like fool's gold. And we start to see, wow, thank you, God, for growing me. I don't know why I ever thought that was appealing. Your way is better. And it all comes through us through a proper view of wisdom. Through wisdom, we clearly see the word of God, Jesus. It's in Christ alone that we place our faith. And so I thought the proper response for us today um, if you'd stand with me, uh, we are going to sing our decree. It is in Christ alone that we place our trust and our hope today because he is the giver of life and truth and wisdom. We've had a great day today in the Lord's presence. A couple things uh, to highlight to you. In the back of your worship folder, you see a bunch of balloons and a lot of red. We're having a huge celebration in two weeks. It's 20 years of being in this building, and uh, we want to celebrate what God has uh, done through ministry here. We've got a couple of special guests, Pastor Keith Newman, uh, who was here uh, during the transition for us. will be back. Uh, Jeffrey Johnson will be here as well. It's going to be a great day. I think the entire staff that was with us 20 years ago will be here. We're going to have a picnic afterwards, uh, and we'll watch the game for guys that are worried about that. I'm not one of those people that are consumed with football like others. but we'll be watching the game. We'll have some great food. We need to RSVP if you can. Uh, there are some cards that are in your worship folder. Then we have the uh, fall festival that's October 24th. And that's where we go and we invade the community. And just, it's a chance for us to be great neighbors uh, to the community around us, to, to love kids and families, play some games. And we need a lot of help to make that happen. And you can, you can sign up for that as well. Guys in the room, I want to invite you really quick, all males, uh, we're going to have a quick meeting to your left my right, right over here. I know that there are games coming on shortly. That's why it's going to be super fast. So if you could come join us really quick, we have a quick uh, announcement about men's ministry stuff. Have a great day seeking God's wisdom this week. And you're